Well, friends, the Lord be with you. As always, it's a gift to be together to open up God's Word in this way. My name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here at Pillar, and I have the incredible privilege and opportunity to walk alongside Hope students. And so, again, a gift to be with you. It's Memorial Day weekend. It marks the unofficial start of summer. And in this area, that's a golden thing. Lake Michigan living and backyard barbecues and, of course, golf outings abound. Last Friday, we had an absolutely golden day for the Young Life golf outing out at Clearbrook. And Pillar, I must say, was well represented out there. A huge kudos to area director Kyle Rock and his team for all of the good work, the good gospel work they do in this community for high schoolers and middle schoolers, pointing them to Jesus Christ and helping them grow in their faith. We're also now, if you can believe it, on the seventh Sunday, the seventh and final Sunday of Eastertide where Christians around the globe and down through the ages announce the gospel word that changes everything, and that is resurrection. Even and especially amidst tragedies, like we saw this past week in Texas, and the ongoing war in Ukraine, we need this sure and certain hope that Jesus is Lord, the crucified and risen Lord, and that he is God with us and God for us. So with that, let's turn to God's word now. Hear the word of the Lord from the book that we love. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters to separate the waters from the waters, and let the waters be separated from under the expanse, from above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening, And there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the expanse be gathered together in one place and let dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants, yielding seed according to their kinds and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed each according to its kind on the earth and it was so 
the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their kinds and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to their own kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens and let it separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let the lights in the expanse of the heavens give light upon all the earth. And it was so God Uh, made the two great lights, the greater light to rule over the day and the lesser light to rule over the night. And God set the lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon all the earth to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth and across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and all the living creatures with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts on the earth according to their kinds and livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make humankind in our own image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God made humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed on all the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, and you shall have them for food. And for the beasts of the earth and the birds of the heavens and everything that has the breath of life 
in it. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished all his work that he had done. And God rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, for on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Don't you just get the sense that after listening to Genesis 1, the world is charged with the grandeur of God, to use a great phrase from the poet Gerard Manley Hopkins, or why Kelvin called creation the theater of God's glory. When I was growing up, I absolutely loved the PBS show Kratz Creatures. Maybe you're more familiar with its spin-offs, Zaboomafu, or maybe you enjoy series like the Planet Earth program, awe-inspiring footage from the African savanna to the Amazon rainforest to the Great Barrier Reef to the Great American West with all the astounding array of creatures, dolphins and pelicans and river otters and red foxes, just to name a few of my own personal favorites. And all that, all the wonders of creation from these magisterial words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And really, mainly, over the next few minutes, I just want to, with unhurried leisure, relish some of the details of God's good world. That there's so much here in Genesis 1. And so, let's see if we can begin to hear the tune of the gospel to get caught up in its rhythm and ultimately to get in on the creating, saving purposes of God. If Fleming Rutledge was correct when she said, the Bible is nothing less than the greatest story ever told, then this is the greatest prelude ever written. And in fact, the Bible has two creation accounts, one cataloged here in Genesis 1, the other on its heels in Genesis 2, but that is a sermon for another day. From the outset, I want to take just a moment to name that much mischief has been done when we try to cut the baby in half with the Genesis 1 creation story, getting trapped in false extremes. So one extreme I want to call biblical literalism, that Genesis 1 gives an airtight method of the timing and technique, the exact how and when God created the world. So that's one extreme. The other extreme I'm going to call scientific rationalism, that Genesis 1 is pure metaphor or myth because evolutionary science has eclipsed the Bible with its sophisticated answers to the questions of origins. These Extreme positions, literalism on one side, rationalism on the other, are especially prone to blind spots. They fail to appreciate the great mystery who is God and betray the biblical posture, the fear of the Lord, 
is the beginning of wisdom. So my suggestion then for getting our minds around Genesis 1 is what my Old Testament professor Ellen Davis called a liturgical drama in poetic form. Now, that's clearly a mouthful, so let's just take a moment to unpack that. Liturgical, connoting the confession and celebration of the whole worshiping community called by God rather than an individual's opinion about the earth's origins. Liturgical drama, connoting a story or adventure that we ourselves get swept up into rather than Genesis 1 being an abstract formula. Liturgical drama, poetic form, connoting rhythm and cadence, even music. I wonder if you could hear that as you were listening to Genesis 1. Poetic form rather than Genesis 1 being a scientific textbook. I wonder if that's why C.S. Lewis envisioned creation being sung into existence by the great lion Aslan in his Narnia story, The Magician's Nephew. Genesis 1, therefore, speaks to and for the imagination. It pulls us into the Bible's wide-open countryside of God's creation, salvation, and blessing. So with this in view, I want to spend just, three, just a few minutes to notice three things. That God speaks and creation happens. That God sees that it's good. And that God blesses humankind with his very own image. God speaks, God sees, and God blesses. So first, I wonder if you noticed that when God starts speaking, stuff starts happening happening. Light and darkness, seas and continents, the sun, the moon, and the stars set in place, waters swarming and birds flying and living creatures of all shapes and sizes begin appearing. And in the Bible, God alone is the subject of the verb create. Humans do not create, at least not in the strict sense of that word. We are at best sub-creators. That's J.R.R. Tolkien's great phrase. We are always playing on God's turf, the good world that he fashioned in all its awesome beauty, variety, and grandeur. And that's why when evil and sin happens, it's such an offense to God because he created it. He spoke and creation happened. But God speaks not merely in power, God speaks in freedom and in love. G.K. Chesterton wrote that the whole difference between construction and creation is that a thing, can, a thing that's constructed can only be loved after it is constructed. But a thing that is created is loved before it exists. The creation of the biblical God and outpouring of the love between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Creation, writes the Orthodox theologian Vegan Groin, is a Trinitarian love song. And if that's true, we begin to see the person of Jesus Christ, love incarnate, 
at the center of it all. For he was, you'll remember from St. John's Gospel, the Word who is God, the Word in the beginning with God, through whom all things were made and without whom nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life. And the life was the light of all people. There is no inconsistency between creation and salvation, according to the church father Athanasius. For one father has employed the same agent for both works, affecting the salvation of the world through the same word who made it at the beginning. God speaks and creation happens, and it happens by the eternal word, Jesus Christ. Jesus, the light of the world. Jesus, the image of the invisible God. Jesus, the firstborn of all creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God speaks, and through Jesus Christ, creation happens. God speaks, and second, God sees. God said, let there be light. And God saw that the light was good. And God also saw that the sky and the earth and the seas were good. And God saw that the sun and the moon and the stars were good. And God saw that the plants and the trees and all the living creatures were good. And when God saw everything that he had made, behold, it was very good good. I hope the point is becoming clear. God sees creation and it's good. God loves creation, celebrates creation, even plays with creation. So how do these huge cosmic macro scale claims of Genesis 1 have ripple effects in our lives that God sees creation and that it's good? Could it be that the God who created everything, the galaxies and the planets and so on, also sees you, delights in you, and lavishes his good pleasure on you? One of my favorite professors from Hope was my freshman English prof, Dr. Ernest Cole, a native of Sierra Leone. A phrase he would often use in class when he approved of an insight or a question from a, one of his students was, ah, yes, good man. You're a good man, Joel, very good. And I had Professor Cole with a few of my buddies, so he'd keep a good man tally count just to add a little zest to a class that we had otherwise taken out of obligation. There are so many moments in my own life and testimony, and hopefully this is the case for you as well, where a coach or a teacher a pastor, a young life leader has simply come alongside and reminded me of this primary identity. You're a good man, Joel. You've got what it takes. You're on the right track. And what I want to suggest is that these very moments of encouragement reflect the character of God seen in Genesis 1. And God saw that it was good. And of course, this creation pattern is exactly what happens in baptism. The chaotic primeval waters are recreated by the word. The sinful identity of the old Adam dies with Christ. 
And God the Father announces over us the very words he announced over Jesus. You are my son, you are my daughter, you are my child with whom I am well pleased. I think an image from C.S. Lewis might help us further along in this. He says, I suddenly remember that no one can enter heaven except as a child. And nothing is so obvious in a child as its great and undisguised pleasure in being praised. Not only in a child either, but even in a dog or a horse. The humblest, the most childlike, the most creaturely of pleasures. Nay, the specific pleasure of the inferior. The pleasure of a beast before men. Of a child before his father. A pupil before his teacher, a creature before his creator. And that is enough, concludes Lewis, to raise our thoughts to what may happen when the redeemed soul beyond all hope and nearly beyond belief learns at last that she has pleased him who she was created to please. You are my son my daughter, my child, with whom I am well pleased. I wonder if you can think of those moments where God has worked in your life to remind you that he sees your goodness, not your perfection, but that you're his beloved child. And it might mean taking a moment to give give God thanks for those people who have done just that, who have been that kind of presence Any gesture of encouragement or kindness, no matter how seemingly small or mundane, offered out of joy or gratitude, participates in God's creation pattern. God sees and God saw that it was good. God speaks, God sees, and God blesses. God created humankind in his own image. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. The blessing of God's very own image, of course, is both gift and challenge. The challenge is that humans are called to stewardship. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We didn't create it, we don't own it, and we exercise dominion, not in the sense of domination. Those are two very different words. Not in the sense of domination or conquest. Dominion is imaging God's care for creation. Steve Baum, a predator, my religion prophet, Hope, defined the human vocation of dominion as to protect and to serve. That is the kind of stewardship that is at the heart of God's blessing, to protect and to serve the earth, to protect and to serve the vulnerable among us, the widow, the orphan, the sojourner, to protect and to serve all who bear the image of God in Christ. Just take a moment and imagine those names and faces that you'll see this week It's God's blessing, and it's a challenge that will keep us occupied until Christ comes again. That's one aspect of the blessing. God's blessing is also a gift for the ages. 
God, the giver of life, is at the center, so the circumference is as wide as creation itself. Luther called it the freedom of the Christian, everything free game. It's all up for grabs, the arts, the sciences, the humanities, the lab, the classroom, the gymnasium, the marketplace, public square, factory floor. I trust you're getting the point. God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. Every relationship, every profession, every sphere of human endeavor flows out of God's creation blessing. Great thinkers like Richard Mao have called this the Christian's cultural mandate. So be free. It all belongs to Christ anyway. God blesses us to work for the kingdom, to be good stewards, to pursue passions and vocations as to the Lord. And God blesses us with Sabbath. That's a sermon for another day. The whole uh, final part of Genesis 1 committed to God's blessing of the seventh day to rest, to celebrate, to delight and play. All in all, God's blessing, the great challenge and the great gift. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And at the table, Jesus meets us as host, Jesus Christ, the Word in the beginning with God, who lives and reigns with the Father and the Spirit, meets us here and offers us his body and his blood. If you believe in Jesus Christ and acknowledge him as Savior, you're welcome to partake in this virtual way in your homes or wherever you are. And if you're not at that place in life or in faith, we're so grateful that you've joined us. You're simply welcome to consider what you've heard this morning. The body of Christ given for you and the blood of Christ shed for you.